I am just going to kick off and please, as I said at the outset, um, just use the call-in function. I will bring speakers up to ask questions, uh, push back on things that I said in my piece, um, and really just hopefully have a, a productive and, and fruitful discussion that makes people think deeply about about our lives, about things that we have assumed, etc. Um, you know, this topic of harsh truths that I wrote about yesterday um, is one that I've been thinking about a lot over the last year. Um, it originally came to me as I was starting to think about um, writing a book. And one of the things that I've always um, disliked, I suppose, about the uh, about the book process or the book industry is like this whole idea of the self-help book, right? Um, it's become a bit of a meme, um, these like business self-help books, uh, because a lot of them... Um, I think miss on some of the challenges that we all experience and some of the feelings and, um, and uh, kind of disruptions that we all experience in our own lives that are very real. And I, I had mused on the idea of writing the kind of, I don't know, the anti self-help book, if you will. Um, the idea of um, putting something out there that um, provides, you know, real perspectives, real anecdotes, um, from a variety of successful people and um, different people from all walks of life that really comes down to um, the reality of life and the lessons you can take away from that, which I think are actually empowering. Um, and so the point, you know, I called the thread harsh truths and there was a certain darkness to it that people flagged. I also hope what came across is, you know, a feeling of empowerment and light um, through all of this that, none of us are really alone in experiencing these things. I mean, I wrote about certain feelings or emotions that I've had, and I wrote it off the cuff more so than most of my writing, um, because a lot of these things are very visceral, things that we all experience, um, things that we all encounter and go through. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to chat through some of them in more depth. I do want to bring, um, bring anyone up that, that wants to speak, that wants to add things. Um, I'm going to kick us off with um, just starting with the first one um, that I that I had on my list. And this is one that's um, probably the most emotional for me to talk about. And honestly, it's one that I had not talked about with my parents one-on-one -on -one, um, prior to writing this. Um, you, you know, my, my parents are in a lot of ways, my best friends. Um, you know, the, the, when people ask me who the most influential people or person was in my life, it's my parents. Um, I come from a, a multicultural mixed race background. My mother's from India, first generation immigrant. My father is a white uh, Jewish male from the Bronx, um, Ukrainian Jewish descent. And uh, actually when my, when my parents wanted to get married, my dad's family didn't accept it. And so my dad ended up having to choose between my mom and, uh, and his family. And he uh, as we all know, chose my mom. And as a result, I've actually never met anyone on my dad's side of the family. Um, we were kind of estranged from that entire side of the family. I've never really talked about that publicly, but it's something that's um, deeply impacted my life and my relationship with my parents, um, you know, and deeply impacted how I think about love and the meaning of these relationships in my own life. Um, and I lived in California for 12 years. I had gone out there for, for college when I went to play baseball in college. Um, and then I took a job out there and I think my mom just assumed at that point that I was never going to come home and never going to be close. Um, and then COVID hit. And I think for a lot of us, we all have felt something similar with this, which was, um, 
priorities all of a sudden slapped us in the face. Um, you know, the, the kind of true essence and uh, ephemerality of life, if you will, um, and the importance of relationships and the um, unimportance of a lot of the things that we had previously assumed were so essential to our world and to our life. You know, geographic proximity, as an example, to our jobs uh, was something that I had previously just assumed was critical that all of a sudden was was stripped away. And so we were able to think about, um, you know, what was really important. And I had that conversation with a friend that I talked about in May of 2021. It was like, call it May 10th, May 11th. Um, I was having a conversation and I basically said, you know, I see my parents once a year right now. And that was pre-COVID, honestly. Like we would go home because it was a six hour flight. Both my and my wife's family were in Boston and we'd go home and it was like you stayed for a week around Thanksgiving. And that was the extent of our um, our interactions. And I was really close with my parents. I didn't call very frequently because I'm not great about phone calls, but I was close with them and I would only see them once a year. And so this friend just said, well, um, OK, so your dad's 65. You're going to see him 15 more times uh, in your life before he dies. And I remember literally feeling like I got hit by a sack of bricks because the math of that. It's just something you don't think about on a daily basis. I've seen, you know, now since I wrote about it yesterday, um, people sent me several articles that others have written on this same topic. Uh, a brilliant piece by Tim Urban, who I'm excited to have uh, on the podcast soon to have a deeper discussion on this, on this exact thing. You know, the amount of time you spend with your parents basically being concentrated into the first 18 years of your life. And that if you, you know, if you aren't careful and you blink, uh, those years go by and the amount of time that you spend with them is is very limited from there on out. And so the impact this had on me when I had that conversation was immediate. Um, and I credit my wife um, for, for kind of bearing with me on this, but I basically woke up um, a day or two later and decided we were going to sell our house um, and move back to the East Coast. And I didn't still, again, to this day, had not had that direct discussion with my parents that that was one of the reasons why. Um, and my writing this piece yesterday actually led to um, a very interesting discussion with my parents on this exact fact, because I don't think that they were aware that their mortality was a driving factor of that decision to move. Um, so, you know, for me, th this is a harsh truth. Um, it's a reality that I think applies more broadly than your parents, as many people um, pointed out, you know, it applies to our friendships, it applies to things we enjoy doing. Tim Urban wrote about that in his piece of, you know, in, in the New York Times, he wrote a piece about going to the Natural History Museum um, and how much he enjoys that and how limited the number of times he will do that again in his life are. Um, and this is somewhat dark um, because it forces you to encounter mortality in a very real and visceral way, you know, in terms of putting a number on the number of times you will see people again. But it is also, for me at least, a highly empowering and um, and really emotional um, realization of what you want to spend your time on on a daily basis and who you want to spend that time with. Um, I also think it concentrates uh, who you want to spend your time with, you know, makes you identify who is your real list, the people that you really want to spend your time with on this planet and the people that truly lift you up. Um, I could do, you know, there are people you can do without that you can kind of strip their negativity or their pessimism out of your life. And so I, I think there's something really, um, really intentional uh, about what this means and what this does. 
I would love as we go here to take up some callers um, as I continue on. So please um, just press the uh, press the button, and I will uh, I'll start bringing up people to chat about their own experiences with some of these. I'd love to love to hear more perspectives as we go. So please don't be bashful, anybody um, anybody that has any reactions here or that wants to wants to share their own experiences with these. You know, on a more kind of friend related note, and here let me let me actually take a take a caller here, Chris. If you just unmute, you should be able to speak. Awesome. Did that work? Yep, you are up. Please. Welcome. All right. Well, hey, thanks, man, for uh for sharing on this topic and your your tweets are always awesome. Go deep. So appreciate it. I appreciate you being up here. So I'm cu curious for your perspectives on any of these um, own encounters with this stuff. Pressure test me. Um, would love to yeah. just hear your perspectives. Yeah, man. I mean, definitely that one hit home uh, around, you know, selling and picking up and moving cross country. We uh, I've lived in California and San Francisco my whole life. So for us, I get that question every single time someone says, wait a second, you live in Atlanta now? <laughs> Why Atlanta, you know, and, you know, there's multiple reasons, but it's so funny to your point around, I think, you know, there's so, it's so unique, like the optimism versus uh, pessimism statement in life uh, is, is, is one thing I always look to. And then also having those difficult conversations. Um, so I, I was going to actually ask you, you know, for me, it was really tough because my sister, I have four sisters in the Bay Area. I've got my dad down in Santa Barbara, my mom up in Sacramento, but my wife's family is all out here in Georgia. And that was one of the key things for us is like her parents were like, hey, you, if you guys, you know, obviously you always have the parents trying to get you to move where they're at, whether it's Santa Barbara, Sacramento or Atlanta. But the family in Atlanta was like, hey, you guys move out. Not only can you have you know, some land, there's a great scene there for tech, <laughs> you know, but then they're like, we'll babysit whenever you want. And we were expecting our second baby. And so that was a really compelling thing for us. But I think for me, it was so hard because my whole life, my whole infrastructure was out, out there. So I was kind of curious from your standpoint, if you had competing families, right? Or do, do both sets of families live in the, in the same place there? Yeah, this is a great question. It's one that I got a bunch of responses on of, of how you handle that. And I think it's really difficult, right? I have the, the privilege that I, I married my high school sweetheart. Um, and so both of our sets of families are uh, both in the Boston area, um, and her family's still in the town where we grew up and my family, um, in Cambridge. So close, close by. And, um, that made it a lot easier. Uh, and you know, her, her siblings were still in California, which was a tough decision for her. Um, but our families were there. And as we started to think about having a kid, as you said, you know, having the support of your families is, is also essential. And also, you know, wanting your grand, their grandchildren to be a part of their lives is a, huge driving force for parents late in life. I mean, that's a massive motivator and, and something that drives a lot of meaning for them. But, you know, when you have to make the decision to cross families, my mom, you know, lived in the United States her whole life when her whole family was in India. Um, and it's been deeply, deeply challenging for her later in life, especially as her mom, you know, who's now 95 years old is kind of, you know, into that last, last stage of life. It's very, very challenging being so far away. Um, you know, from the people that you care about and the amount of time you actually get to spend with them and see them. So um, I don't think there's an easy answer for, for how to deal with um, conflicting families and, um, 
you know, I think having the open discussions is the most important part of this. It's like be, being willing to confront these uh, inconvenient and harsh truths uh, with the people you care about, not just having to do it in a silo, frankly, in the way that I did it, which I don't really consider best practice. Um, so that, that's, you know, that's my general thought is like, I hope that these type of writings and these type of discussions lead to um, a much more open discourse around these, um, you know, with your friends, with your family and with the people around you. Love that. I, uh, I, I, I was also going to ask you around the idea of, uh, you know, going, you know, in tech, right. Uh, being able to work from anywhere before you had to be in San Francisco or New York, uh, a friend in here, Saba, right. Who's in LA. Um, we're planning trips out to California right now as for the family over the summer. But I think that's also the beauty is like the nice thing about the East coast I found is like, it's so easy to get to New York. It's so easy to get to Miami from Atlanta, you know, and anywhere. So I was kind of going to get your thoughts around, you know, has it been easier for you? And oh, I, one yeah, of the things, 100%. Awesome. All right. That's cool. The other thing I wanted to ask you was on that topic was those difficult conversations. Uh, I heard someone a few years back tell me, you know, oftentimes your success is how many of those, especially as leaders, how many difficult conversations you have to have. Um, is that something else you, you've, you've kind of thought about, or is that something you've written about? So a couple of great questions there. I mean, first off on the point on, you know, hybrid work and the ability to work from wherever, I think that's a massive step in the right direction. Um, you know, I, I think like, and, and that fundamentally, I don't think we'll ever go back to normal or at least not the normal that we previously knew, um, which is a great thing for people being able to prioritize their entire self rather than just their working self during their, during their prime years. Um, on the latter point, difficult conversations is not something I've written about in the past, although it's a topic that I've often thought about writing about and have a lot of like miscellaneous notes that I've written over time, because what I've generally found is that I've gotten more secure with age in having difficult conversations when I was a kid and a teenager, and even in college or in my early adulthood, I really hid from having those difficult conversations, um, shied away, um, you know, was insecure with myself and, and kind of scared of having them because you worry about, you know, the impact on the relationships or you worry about being judged or you worry about being disliked. I think that's one of the biggest changes in life. That's a positive one is just not caring anymore. If someone doesn't like you or someone disagrees with something you said, um, you know, I used to worry about that so damn much and the amount of time and energy that I think I deployed into, you know, being liked rather than um, rather than doing what was right or what was core to my values is um, is something that I really regret, candidly. So having those difficult conversations, being willing to cut ties with people who are holding you back, um, you know, negative people, pessimists, et cetera, things that are holding you back from um you know, living a fulfilled and, and happy existence, I think is, is really, really important. Thanks for coming up, Chris. Really, really appreciate the questions. Would love to uh, take a couple more here. Let's see, make next caller, Jacob. Let's see if this works. If you just unmute, you should be able to ask a question. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Sile. Hey, man. <laughs> hey, so um, I wanted to circle back to the conversation we were having earlier about relationships. One of the things that I wanted to um, just add is that a lot of times I think we all have relationships, whether it's with, directly with our parents, some of our closest relationships or just friends. Um, we all have that one relationship we wish we were a lot closer with. 
Um, and I think that a lot of times we're not that close with that said relationship, not because we're ignorant, but just because we lose track of just life, you know, life just passes us by. Um, and something that I wanted to introduce is that in order to, you know, get closer to that said relationship, you need to um, consider factors like, okay, why am I not, why am I not as close with that person? Like my father, for example, loved that man to death, but I grew up in an environment where like, we never said I love you to each other. Um, so it was like, it took a lot of like, it took considering whether I was fearful or whether I was lazy to see why I didn't get as close to my father as I wanted to. Um, and it honestly came down to like a fear. I was just uncomfortable saying, I love you. But once you overcome that, I feel like, you know, just the world is your oyster. Wow. Well, I, um, it, it's a really powerful sentiment. And I appreciate you sharing it. Um, it's something I've thought about a lot recently in the context of friendships that have sort of lapsed. Um, I have a few friends, you know, you, you talk about it in the context of your father and kind of unlocking that relationship and figuring out, you know, really what was like the constraint or the limiting factor um, in the relationship. And then, you know, it sounds like, you know, you're kind of able to and, and working on addressing it directly. I, I've thought about it with friendships and with, um, you know, those people in your life. And it sort of relates to the topic that I talk about sometimes around like darkest hour friends, those friends who um, you know, will just be there for you, not in the like amazing, you know, joyful moments. Sure. They'll be there for those just like everyone else, but in the, you know, the shitty moments, the moments when you're down and out. And one of the things I've noticed and observed is that it's very easy to just let friendships elapse as life progresses. You, you know, you move away, you don't live in the same area. You don't see the person often. Maybe you built the relationship in college and you were with the person every day. You were living with them, everything, you know, Everything was um, really dynamic and daily. And then life happens. You know, you have kids, you have a job, things are moving on. Um, you know, you've grown in different ways, grown apart, grown together, etc. And one of the ways I have just personally started addressing it, which I've found very fruitful and, and hope others would as well, is literally just like when you think of someone, um, when like some funny memory comes to you and you're out on a walk or, um, you know, you're kind of sitting around doing nothing and you're laughing about some memory you've had with the person, um, send them a text and don't say anything. Like it doesn't need to turn into a conversation. Um, sometimes I find I would hesitate to do that because I was worried about it turning into a conversation. and I didn't have time for a conversation. So send them a text and literally just said, you know, say something like, Hey, you know, miss you thinking about you or Hey, you know, love you. You know, hope you're doing well. Something super simple. Um, that just like creates this touch point and connectivity that you previously wouldn't have had. Um, and I've started doing it maybe six months ago where like I have friends who I haven't talked to in a few years who have randomly gotten a text from me saying that because I thought of them, you know, something came up and something sparked my uh, sparked a memory for me. And it has led to this feeling of like warmth and connection with old friends and friends that I care deeply about that I hadn't had for probably five, six years um, in my, uh, in my life, kind of as my life had started to progress. And it's just a simple and super powerful thing um, from what I find. And so, you know, further to your point on like finding those limiters, um, figuring out how to kind of get closer to these people where, you know, you, you, you haven't wanted the relationship to lapse. I've just found that to be a simple habit of just when you think about someone, just send something really simple. Um, send something off, just thinking about you, hey, you know, love to catch up sometime, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, something amazing or insightful, but just that simple thing can go a really, really long way. 
No, yeah, I agree. And um, one other thing that I wanted to add to that is that, like, try to remove your ego a lot of times. You know, I've been in that situation where I'm like, eh, that person hasn't hit me up in, like, a few months. You know, thought of this memory, but, you know, like, I'm just not going to go through the trouble of hitting them up. Like, you know what? Just fuck it. Remove that. Um, and yeah, you, you work wonders. I love that, man. You're, you, are a, you are a wise man. I love it. I really appreciate it. No, thank up. you for having me. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Jacob. <laughs> David, you're up. Hey there. What's up, man? Not much. Yeah, I uh, kind of my my things I'm dealing with is a similar issues with friends, are they acquaintances, and we're, I guess I'm kind of like a similar age. I'm 33, and we're kind of in that transition where, you know, in the past your friends were everything, and then as you get older, your priorities change, and you have. You know, you deal with your own own issues and you have, you know, focus on your own family. And so I guess I'm in that transition period where, you know, recently I've been trying to hang out with a few friends and, you know, on the day of they've kind of, you know, kind of, uh, what do you call it, flaked out, you know, said they were tired, you know, sick and busy. And so, uh, yeah, I've, I've been kind of dealing with these harsh truths where your priorities aren't lining up and you kind of want to deep a connection or maintain connections with your friends. But on the other hand, you know, they're, they're dealing with their own things and, and not to take it personally. And so maybe kind of, yeah, some, some relationships, they do kind of die off naturally. Right. And, and then you got to pursue people that I guess have the same interests as you do. How do you deal yeah. with yeah, letting go of relationships and stuff? Yeah. You know, the way I, I think I, I maybe, um, didn't get across the nuance of this as well as I'd like, which perhaps isn't surprising in 280 characters, but um, I don't think there's anything wrong with acquaintances. Uh, I think a lot of people read it as like, you know, you should kind of like scrub your life clean of these acquaintances that aren't the, you know, that aren't the real friends. And I actually don't feel that way at all. The way, the way I've always thought about relationships and friendships is that you sort of want to build like a T structure um, where it's great to have width and kind of like breath to your relationships in the world because the power of loose ties is very real. Um, you never know when one of those acquaintances is going to bring you some amazing opportunity or is starting something and you might have a look at it or, um, you know, or you're able to participate or collaborate with people that are those loose connections. That, that is very real. There's a paper by, I think his name is Mark Granovetter. Um, that's like the power of weak ties or the power of loose ties. I took his course when I was in college and it was quite amazing. And so I really do believe that. I don't think you need to purposefully sh like scrub your life clean of those things. Um, what I do think you need to do is build the depth. And that comes from like, you know, in gambling terms, like pressing your winners, um, you know, or investing terms where you build that concentration by really cherishing those handful of relationships that, um, that you kind of find that depth with and that connection with the people that are truly, truly there for you. The analogy that I've always loved with this is, I don't know if people have heard of this, but Warren Buffett has this concept of the punch card. Um, and he applies it to investing where he says basically um, that imagine you have a punch card that has 20 punches in it. Um, and you are only like, every time you make an investment, you have to punch one of those holes out. And he talks about it in the context of how differently most investors would play the game if you knew that you only had 20 investments to make in your life, how much more deliberate you would be, how much more thoughtful you might be, um, how much deeper you would go um, on specific investments as you were doing them. 
if you knew that you only had 20 and those were the 20 you had for your life. And, and I thought about the similar concept as it relates to relationships, family, friends, etc. cetera. Um, I've just imagine whether, you know, imagine thinking that, that you really have this one punch card, whether it's 20 or 10 or five. Um, and those are the relationships that are going to matter and be impactful to your entire life. Um, how would you act? How differently would you participate? You know, would you would you kind of go about your day to day interactions with these people? Um, what would you pursue? What would you say no to? What would you go say yes to? Would you be there for those you know ten people? No questions asked in any scenario. Would you drop things that you have with loose connections to be there for those deep connections? Um, and I've thought like I've found that as a mental model to be a very powerful way to think about my relationships and my friends. Um, because you're constant, especially as you scale in your endeavors and you're, um, you know, achieving kind of quote unquote success, there are just a lot of people who you come into contact with and the opportunity set of relationships and acquaintances grows and the impressiveness of those people scales over time. And there's this temptation to go in a million directions and, you know, go pursue all of those relationships and have this amazing, you know, super cool, successful group of friends um, and the reality is most of those relationships end up being transactional and not deep. And that's not going to be the person that's there for you when the terrible things happen. It, those are the people that are there because you are similarly successful and they want to have you around because it's convenient. So I would encourage people to think about that punch card analogy, um, kind of use that mental model as you think about relationships and the people that, you know, you want to spend time with and that you want to kind of continue to go deeper with. But I don't think there is a need to scrub acquaintance relationships from your life. I think it's much more a function of cherishing those those deep and true relationships. I agree. Yeah. Thanks for all that advice. Thank you. Harris, another baseball playing friend. If you just unmute, Harris, you should be able to. Uh... You able to hear me okay? Yep. Oh, well, thanks so much, man. I appreciate you doing this. I love the uh, the thread and all the stuff that you put out here on, on Twitter and everything. So thank you uh, for doing that. I'd love to to kind of have you dive a little bit deeper into this concept around uh, success and the, and the timelines that we that we set for ourselves. Really, I'm hoping to get your take around goal setting. I think that there's power in goal setting, but I also think that there are certain things that we send, tend to say, hey, I want to make X amount of money by X age that does tend to hold us back. And I'm curious for your perspective on that, uh, how yeah. you think about goal setting and then also timelines. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a great question. So this is something I've thought about a lot. Um, look, I, um, when I got done with school and um, took my first job, I spent probably the first six, seven, eight years of my career um, basically comparing myself to other people, whether I knew it or not. Um, you know, I'd see people that I graduated with get Forbes 30 under 30 or go raise $20 million for their startup or become a partner at some venture fund at age 27 or um, you know, whatever the thing was, whatever accolade it was, um, I was constantly thinking about it. And it was making me feel bad on a daily basis about yeah. anything I was doing. Um, and I was doing great things, like just objectively, you know, from the outside looking in, um, you would have said if you were just like a unbiased observer that I was uh, that I was doing fine and that I was doing great things. But I was like very legitimately unhappy 
um, because I constantly was just spending time thinking about and comparing whatever I was doing to other people. And I knew, you know, at every point in time, I was like, okay, I'm going to be, I was working in private equity and, you know, it's a, it's a pretty fixed path and timeline. And I basically was like, okay, I want to be, you know, a vice president by age 26. And then I want to make principal by age 30. And then I want to make partner by age 32. And I want to make, you know, and everything was like, I was trying to lay out a path in front of me that what I realized over time, it was just arbitrary bullshit um, that I had created in my own mind uh, based on reading about others. And that's sometimes fine if it motivates you. For me, um, I found it to be a slight motivator, but mostly something that just drove stress and unhappiness and a lack of contentment. Because what would happen is I would get some you know, positive reinforcement, right? Like you get a bonus or you do some deal that you're happy about. And the first thing that would hit my mind, I would, I'd be like happy for a fleeting second. And then I would say, oh, I wonder if that person actually got a bigger bonus than me. Or I wonder if, you know, that person, you know, oh, well, that person actually just did a bigger deal than me and they're younger. Um, so I shouldn't actually feel that happy with it. Like I would all of a sudden place it into someone else's context and it would remove the uh, appreciation that I had for um, for some achievement. And it was just like a legitimately unhealthy way to live in a way that I think um, we're conditioned to live, especially early in our careers. Um, and what I found over time was just everybody's timelines are different. Um, timelines in general are like when you go read the success stories of amazing people, <laughs> there are so many winding paths to success. And like, there's this meme about that and everyone wants to do a visualization about it. And I think it's great. It's fine. But until you really truly understand that you're going to constantly be on that treadmill. Like the reality, when you go talk to some, you know, successful person is you talk to them and you're like, Oh, how did you, you know, end up a CEO of whatever it is. And they're like, well, I spent seven years at this place and that didn't really work out. And so then I ended up spending three at this place. It went under. And then I went to that place for, you know, 14, which is really where I started to accelerate. And I was worrying about something that was happening in like the second year of that first seven year period that the person was talking about. It's stupid. Like it makes no sense when you put it into the context of the grand scheme of building. Um, and so I've only recently kind of come to terms with this and just realized that what you should be focused on is internal and it's progress. It's like, am I happy with the growth I'm experiencing and with my own internal fulfillment, happiness, um, and appreciation of the things that I'm building or doing. And it's easier said than done because you're constantly going to be hit with a barrage of people posting their like successes and their wins on LinkedIn or wherever it is, like whatever Forbes 30 under 30 list they made. Um, and it's hard, it's hard to do, but no one is alone in that. Um, which is why I write about it. It's like, look, um, I think a lot of people assume certain things, you know, you like, people have said this to me, like, you assume that I am some level of successful and content? Well, actually, no, I spent a lot of time in the beginning of my life and beginning of my career, being really insecure, quite unhappy, um, you know, worrying about other people's success, not being happy for other people's success, because I felt like it was a zero sum game, like all of these things I write about, and I talk about on these topics. Um, I'm not above them, like I'm literally writing them because I fell victim to all these things um, in my own very real way. And now I'm, I feel like I've learned from them and that I'm, you know, a little bit wiser from having experienced them uh, and I'm able to reflect on them in a real way. But it's things that I have truly experienced, wrestled with and struggled with. Um, and so that's why I share it.
along the way. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you for, for your vulnerability and expressing that because it is helpful to, to, to feel that you're not alone and that other people are kind of going through yeah. this, not really feeling that success. So thank you, Sahil. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. And the last thing I would say on that is, uh, and I was kind of crafting some writing about this the other day, I had, um, I had Morgan Housel on for a discussion um, and went deep with him. It's going to be posted soon. It's a great, great discussion. And um, he, he becomes very vulnerable about how like one of his fears is that everything is going to suddenly be taken away and that he won't be able to provide for his family and put a roof over their heads in a real way. And this is like a New York Times bestselling, sold over a million copies of his book, you know, the pinnacle of success as a, as a creator, as a writer, et cetera. And he's saying that. And what I realized is that the more like hyper successful people I've met in my life, I have found that unbelievable and almost perplexing common thread that they all have this deep seated insecurity that all of the trappings of their success, the money, the fame, and all of those things are suddenly inexplicably going to be taken away from them. And if the most successful people in the world have that insecurity, then it stands to reason that we we all have it in some way, shape or form, and that it's not something that's just gonna go away when you make X dollars or when you get to the CEO title or you get to VP or whatever all of those things are, it just keeps going. And so what we should be measuring ourselves against is not those things, um, we can use those things as motivators perhaps along the way, and maybe it keeps you hungry and keeps you driving forward, but it stands to reason that then what we should be focusing on is truly being happy and feeling a level of contentment and fulfillment with what we are doing and how we are creating energy and who we are creating energy with on a daily basis. Um, because at the end of the day, no matter how high you go, there's always going to be someone higher. There's always going to be the like three X better than you currently are that you're all of a sudden going to decide is your new level that you need to strive for. Um, and it is a very unfulfilling reality that if all you're constantly doing is trying to get to whatever the next level is, you're going to get there. You're going to reach that peak. You're going to look around. You're going to see some higher peak. You might feel a moment of satisfaction with having hit it. And then you're going to be like, shit, someone else is, you know, climbing that other one or someone else is up there and I need to get to that peak. I've like the number of conversations I've had with friends who said, oh yeah, I just want to make $15 million. And then they get to $15 million and then they're like, well, I just want to make 50 and then I'll be really happy. Um, the number just moves and the, whatever level you set for yourself in your mind, it's just going to move when you get there, no matter how much you tell yourself it's not. So setting different definitions of what you're really striving for. If I could, you know, give one piece of advice and it's something I'm wrestling with and trying to do myself along the way. Um, that would be the one thing I would say to, to take away from all of this. So I appreciate everyone joining uh, during this, I don't know, lunch hour on the East coast. Um, I'll post the, I'll post the conversation and the recording of it uh, shortly, but truly appreciate everyone. Um, look forward to continuing this dialogue. This is something that um, a topic that you might see, further writing from me on. I, I honestly, I hope to write a book on this at some point in the future. So um, very much appreciate everyone's support and look forward to continuing to interact. You know where to find me on Twitter. Um, if you joined this and I wasn't able to take your question, send me a DM on Twitter. Um, just say like call in live in the DM or something so that I can flag it relative to all the other DMs. 
and uh, I will do my absolute best to get back to you. So feel free to shoot me a DM if you listen to this and, and I wasn't able to get to your question. Thank you, everyone, and uh, hope everyone has an amazing, productive week. Talk soon.